Okay, so I'm trying to uh, look at, at these readings from the perspective of, of what I preached about last week. So if, if you remember, uh, the homily last week was focused on, on our kind of, at least my, my thoughts about my hopes for, for our parishes during Advent, uh, what we could do, a couple of things, right? So the first one was to reach out to people who have fallen away, perhaps, or, or basically to reach out to anyone in our, in our lives who are, who are not currently coming, right? People who maybe they've fallen away, maybe they've never had a relationship with Jesus, but to reach out to them and invite them in. And, and the primary way I suggested we do that was by writing a letter. Uh, and if you like to not do that, that's fine. You don't have to. But if you would, I think that I think that could potentially be an effective way to do so. And if you weren't here, uh, I gave a template last last week. So there's on the table out there by the door, a little template, something you could follow along as you sort of prepare to write your letter and then write your letter. So anyway, the first goal, reaching out to people, trying to invite them uh, into their fa into the family, right into uh, this relationship with Jesus. And then the second goal was was uh, personal growth, right? I proposed uh, growing specifically through this app uh, that is called Hallow, but again, if, if you, the app is not your thing, that's fine. To look for some way to grow personally uh, during this time in Advent, uh, to grow in your prayer life, to grow in your reading of the Word of God, whatever it may be, but finding ways to grow personally so that again, as we invite other people in, they can see that we believe what we're inviting them to. Right? They can see that, that we actually believe this and, and that growth is something that can happen. In fact, is, is it ought to be a normal part of everyday life for a Catholic Christian, is spiritual growth. Okay, so I have that in mind. So, so my goal, anyway, for, for these homilies during Advent, for this week and the next couple of weeks, is to preach through the, that set of lenses, right? So to look at the readings and try to see, okay, where in, in the readings can we see uh, opportunities or invitations from the Lord for us to reach out to other people or strategies maybe of reaching out for other people but then also where, where are there areas for our own personal growth within that so this week I have uh, three primary points so the first one is something for you the second one is something for me and then the third one is again something for you so for you what, what is it that I see so I what I'm seeing in the gospel passage is this John the Baptist is addressing two different groups of people the first group of people he's addressing is the kind of average everyday person, right? Uh, that, of course, you're all above average people, right? So we're not, you know, not trying to put anyone down here, but, but nonetheless, he's, he's talking to the, the average person, right? The ordinary Joe. Um, and, and what's he saying to them? Well, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? This is what he's doing. He appears, he's preaching in the desert, and he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, but then what, what's fascinating is this, that it says, at that time, Jerusalem, all Judea, and the whole region around the Jordan were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they acknowledged their sins. This is the fascinating thing to me that, you know, something I've heard just in the last couple of years, that John the Baptist possibly, maybe probably, was more popular than Jesus more famous than Jesus, right? He's got the entire region of uh, all of Judea and the whole region around the Jordan River were going out to him, right? He was a popular guy. Like people, there was something about John the Baptist that people were drawn to or they were, they were captivated by what he was preaching. And for me, this, this question, right? It's like, well, nobody really likes to hear the message of repentance, at least not today. Maybe, back then, maybe they did. But today, if, if you know, I, I preach repentance a lot and people don't always like it, you know? And so it's like, why, why were they so attracted to John the Baptist? Why were they, they going out to him? And for me, the key this week came in the, the passage that Matthew quotes for us, right? So, okay, so John comes, he's preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then Matthew tells us in his gospel, 
It was of him, so it was of John the Baptist, that the prophet Isaiah had spoken when he said, a voice of one crying out in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths, right? So you see this? Like, so there's this passage from the Old Testament that Isaiah, the prophet, writes, and Matthew now is seeing it all happen in real time, and he's saying, oh my gosh, this passage that Isaiah wrote about, it's, it's meant to be about John. It's meant to be about this guy. So, so then for me, it's like, okay, well, if this passage is about him, then I want to go back to this passage, and I want to look at the bigger picture here. Like, what, what, what's the bigger part going on? And, and for me, I think it's very enlightening, right? So this passage comes from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. So if you know at all about the book of Isaiah, uh, you know that it's, it can be broken up into two parts. So chapters 1 through 39 are one part, and chapters 40 through 66 are another part. It's a really long book, 66 chapters, right? So two different parts. The first, the first part, chapters 1 through 39, is called the book of woes. Right, so a lot of times if you'll read it, you'll, you'll hear Isaiah, the Lord speaking through Isaiah, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. And he's speaking primarily to the religious leaders of the time. They were, they were not uh, helping people repent of their sins. They were breaking God's commandments, doing their own thing, going their own way. And so the Lord is saying, woe to you because you do not turn back to me. Woe to you because you're giving your heart to these other things, these other nations, these other false gods, whatever it may be. Woe to you, right? And, and we know that to receive that message is... It's the Lord basically is prophesying their doom, that things are not going to go well for them. But then what happens in chapter 40, there's this big shift where the Lord begins with this. In chapter 40, verse 1, it says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. What's the Lord saying? Woe to you, woe to you. It's not going to end well because you're sinning. You're, you're rebellious. You're turning away from me. And yet, comfort. Be comforted. Right? What's the Lord saying? He's saying all of this is for a purpose, right? That the Lord, yes, I punish, he's saying, but I don't punish for no purpose. All of my punishment, it is for the purpose of restoration. It's for the purpose of healing of the whole family. That's what the Lord is saying. And, and, and then we get into this, uh, this passage, right? A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You see, this passage that, that Matthew is saying, it's written about John. It's for him. Right? This passage is a, it's a passage of incredible hope. Right? The, the, and, we, and we know that this actually ends up taking place, that the people are brought into exile, into Babylon. Uh, but then what happens after that is the Lord eventually lets them return to the promised land. And then what's more, what's more is Jesus himself comes, right? God himself comes down from heaven. And so this passage that Matthew is writing about, the people must have recognized it like, okay, John is proclaiming this message of repentance, but why do we need to repent? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Right? He's not saying the kingdom is coming. He's not saying that, that yet yeah, one day, you know, if you repent, you'll end up in heaven. No, he's saying the kingdom is at hand. It's here already. So we got we to repent. We, gotta, we have to get ourselves ready for this, right? So like imagine, imagine someone comes over to your house or they're saying that they're gonna, like someone calls you on the phone and it's somebody that you love and care about a lot. And they say, hey, I'm coming over in, in 15 minutes. What are you going to do? You start cleaning, right? 
feverishly cleaning as much as you possibly can. Right? Because it's like, why? Well, I want my house to be presentable for this guest that I really care about. This, this, I'm, I'm not even that important, but I know that this is, this is the case. I show up at people's houses sometimes and they'll say, oh, Father, excuse the mess. Right? Father, Father, if I had known you were coming, I would, I would have cleaned up, right? This whole song, right? If I knew you were coming, I'd have baked a cake, right? Hired a band. All these things, right? So like, we, we know this, we know this in our real life that, that like, okay, when we have a guest coming, we're gonna do our best to prepare for that guest. And when that guest is someone that we deem to be important or someone that we care about or someone that, that we love so much, even more so do we want to make ourselves prepared for that, to clean up. And so that's what, what John is, John is in his announcing of his, his, a message of repentance, he's saying, you guys, we, we don't just have a guest coming, but the guest who is here is the kingdom. He is the kingdom of heaven. And so what do we gotta do? We gotta clean up. We gotta repent, and it's not like a message of like, oh, you're such terrible people, but instead it's like, no, you don't understand. Like, God is revealing to us that we matter to him, right? Like, this is, this is the, the first part for you guys, right? Like, this is the thing, is you matter to God. If this isn't the kind of thing that sort of, in some ways, catches you off guard to say like, what, wait, what? I'm, I, I live in a tiny little town in northwestern Minnesota. I, I shouldn't matter to God. But this is the message is, no, actually, you do matter to him. And so because you matter to him, realize that he's coming to your house, the house of your soul. And so you got to repent. you got to clean up. you got to make it look presentable to him so that when he comes, right? Because what happens? What happens if we have a guest who comes and our house isn't clean? We're preoccupied with it the whole time. We might, the guests might even say, no, don't worry about it. But you're still thinking about that room that's so messy. You might think like, okay, we're gonna hang out in this room because I know that this room is really messy and, and I don't want him to see that. Right, but, if, but instead, if we're prepared and our house can be clean and spotless and ready, right, if we're repenting, thinking differently about things, uh, changing the way that we're living, right, then suddenly it's like, okay, I'm, I'm eager and excited to welcome the Lord. Right, so this, this is the first message, uh, right? If this isn't the kind of thing that gets you excited to repent of your sins, then you're missing something. If, if you're hearing this and you're saying, gosh, I don't, I don't think I should have to, then you're missing something. I was thinking about this. Why wouldn't a person be eager and, and excited to repent of their sins, by, especially by confessing their sins, right? They were acknowledging their sins to John. A more literal translation is they were confessing their sins. Somehow through the confession of sins, it brought about an external manifestation of their repentance, but it also somehow brought about some, some kind of a forgiveness, right? Uh, but, if, but if I'm hearing this and I'm not excited about it, that means that I either don't understand it, and if that's the case, then this is a really great place to pray and just say like, Jesus, you gotta, you gotta help me understand this, this, this gift because I'm not fully tracking. And I think this is something that can happen for a lot of us, if, especially if we're raised in the church. If we're raised with this sort of like, yeah, no, Jesus is around and he loves me and he cares about me and he's so good and, and I'm so good and so whatever. Right, if we're raised in it, it can be something that actually like we kind of lose our understanding of who Jesus is and, and the fact that he's not just another guest into our lives, but he is the most important guest. And yes, he does love us and yes, he is good, but he is also God and he also expects to find us without blemish. And the fact that we do have blemishes, the fact that we do sin, is just a sign that we need to do a better job of preparing for him to come.
Right, so it's a really great place to praise Jesus. You gotta help me understand this, this dynamic a little bit better, okay? So you either don't understand it or you don't believe it, right? You don't believe that Jesus is a real person. You just, so many times, and this is something that can happen, is that we think of Jesus as this sort of mythical figure that maybe lived 2,000 years ago, or maybe it's just the spirit of Jesus, or maybe it's just something we kind of tell ourselves so that we can feel better about dying. Right? And again, if you don't believe it, then this is a really great place to try to just say like, Lord, I don't know. They say that you're real. I'm not sure I believe it. I need your help. Right? A really great place to pray. Or you just don't care. That might be another option. That you hear this, you might even believe that Jesus is real, but you just simply don't care. Wherever you were at in there, right? If you find yourself actually more excited for the end of the homily, or if you find yourself more excited to go home and watch the Vikings game, you're missing something. And if you're missing something, then that should be a really great place for you to pause and just say, okay, what am I missing? Right, that's the first message for you. Second one, hopefully it won't take 13 minutes to explain the second one. The second one for me is this. John the Baptist, he shifts his tone when he speaks to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You see, the first part, he's, he, uh, uh, Matthew even talks about the voice of one crying in the desert. He makes this, this reference to a passage that's meant to bring comfort to people. John the Baptist, when he starts seeing the Pharisees and the Sadducees, these are the religious leaders. When he starts to see them coming, what does he say? You brood of vipers. What are vipers? They're snakes. What else in scripture is referred to as a snake or a serpent? The devil, Satan. It's fascinating. John shifts his tone of voice, referring to the religious leaders as though they're spawns of Satan. Which again, is something that should be like, wait, what? What is going on right now, right? Why would, why would John be so bold as to talk to these people, these religious leaders, about themselves in, in such a strong, harsh way? And the answer has to be, because we see Jesus doing the same thing in the Gospels, the answer has to be that the, the religious leaders of the time were making the religion more about them, making it more about their comfort and doing what they said rather than about following the Lord God and his ways. And so for John, the message of repentance for the religious leaders is, in some ways, it's the same message of repentance as it is for the average common person, but it's in some ways more harsh and more urgent because to be a religious leader... It implies what? It implies that you're leading people. And if the religious leaders are leading people into false ideas about God, that means that not only are the religious leaders going the way that leads to destruction, that is the way that leads away from the kingdom of heaven, not only are they going the way that leads to destruction, but they're also leading other people into the way that leads to destruction. You see how there's a greater like responsibility to be a religious leader. And so John speaks to them with an awareness that they need to become more aware of their responsibility. And this is something that's, that's for me that I've been reflecting on all week long and I reflect on it actually pretty regularly, that, that the weight that I carry as a religious leader, not, not because it's me, but because I've been given the role by the Lord and by the church, the weight that that needs to have for me is actually something that's a bit heavy. Now, of course, I, I do it with the Lord and I trust that the Lord is going to help me. But at the same time, I need to be aware that if I ever lead people astray, I'm going to be judged according to that. And so for me, there's this reality that just says, like, I have to make sure I'm preaching the truth. And something that I've been, I've been thinking about is that for, for you, the average person, we, can, we live in a day and age where, where the religious leaders are all over the map. 
where religious leaders sometimes, in the same religion, the same Catholic religion, religious leaders are, are preaching different things, sometimes contradictory things, where, where you can go to one parish and hear something and come to another parish and hear something completely different, or go to one diocese and hear a bishop talk about certain things and go to another diocese and hear a bishop or a cardinal talk about things that are completely different, and it can be so confusing. Sometimes this can be the case even just like when there's a, sh a switch in priests. Right, Father Hamnes, so there's a reality that we're all human, right? So, so no, one is, no one is perfect, right? We're, 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 we have per personalities and idiosyncrasies and all that stuff. But, but it could be the case, right, that like, well, Father Hamnes was here before and he preached kind of short sermons. And now we got this new guy and he's preaching these really long sermons, you know? Like, what, what's, what's the deal with that? Or, or I know a, a really classic example of this is I know there was a period of time in the church, like not that long ago, but I mean, long enough, some of you know this, where people were encouraged to not read the Bible. Right? Or, or they weren't encouraged to not read the Bible. Some maybe were, but some were also just said, well, it's not that important. You know, it's hard. It's a hard book to understand. And, you know, so like, don't worry. Don't worry if you don't read it. And now, right, now you get this new priest who comes along and says, no, actually, you need to read the Bible. Right? So that can be really confusing. And it's just like, what, what am I supposed to believe about this? So for me, there's, there's something about that that sits heavy in my heart because I feel bad, actually, that, that the religious leadership in the church is, is kind of scattered and divided. I feel really bad about that, that reality, but then I also am aware that I need to make sure that I'm preaching the truth. And so even as I feel bad about it, and as I, you know, sometimes my, my, I might preach things a little bit differently than someone else preaches, at the same time, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm basing what I'm preaching off of what's in the Word of God and off of what's in the doctrines of the church. So that ultimately, I don't have to hear this phrase from John the Baptist to be, to be called a brood of vipers, a spawn of Satan, but instead, I want to I be welcomed by the Lord to be a co-worker of Jesus in his vineyard. So, you know, just to kind of follow up on that example, right? We have to read the Bible. It's, it's so important for us. The scriptures are clear about this. The church is clear about this. I know it's hard, right? I know it's hard. Something I actually started doing uh, a few weeks ago was I started uh, making YouTube videos, a Bible study online so that you can watch ahead of time the Mass. I, I read through all the readings for the Mass and explain what they mean so that when you get to Mass, the readings can actually make a little bit more sense for you, right? So that's, that's one option that you have, but, but the point of that is like it's important for us to get into the Word to read it, right? So that's a side thing. Okay, point for you, point for me. Now another point for you. So this is what I'm thinking of, right? Our goals for Advent, or my goals at least, my hopes for Advent for us, and hopefully they become your hopes for yourselves, is that we find ways to reach out to people and that we find ways to grow personally. Right, so for you, how do you grow personally? Well, you grow in this awareness of needing to repent, of needing to prepare for Jesus. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? That's your personal growth. For me, my personal growth is similarly repenting of any areas where maybe I've failed, any areas where I've led people astray. My personal growth is same, right? Is to, to prepare myself to, to grow in my understanding of the truth and the knowledge of the gospel. How do you do take this and now reach out to people? Right? So this is this is something to consider, especially for parents. You who are parents of adult children, of small children, you who plan to be parents someday. We call the family, the family unit, the domestic church, where the parents are the leaders. If your home is the domestic church and you are the leaders, what does that make you? It makes you a religious leader in your home. Now, consider this. I don't know how you're raising your families. I don't know how you did raise your families. Consider this. Is it possible, as you consider your kids who have left the faith, is it possible that in some areas you failed? 
as religious leaders. That doesn't make you bad parents. And I know that this can be a very sensitive topic. So I'm not telling you that you're a bad person. I'm not telling you that you're a bad father or bad mother. I'm just simply asking you to consider, is it possible that you failed to teach your children all the time about true ideas about God? And some of you maybe were taught false ideas about God, and so that's the reason that you ended up teaching your children false ideas about God, right? So it's not all on you. Like I said, there's a lot of burden on the religious leadership in the church. But I also think, and I know this actually to be the case, that there are lots of people who just wish their parents would apologize to them. There are lots of people, maybe some of you actually sitting here, just would love to hear your parents come to you and say to you, hey, I know, I know I wasn't the best dad. I know I wasn't the best mom, and I'm sorry about that. And this is the thing. We all know this. We, we all know that we do the best that we can all the time. But sometimes we have to admit that sometimes my best and sometimes your best, it doesn't actually meet the standards of the gospel. And our kids recognize this. I know there are people in my, in my time as a priest that I have caused harm to. And I need to repent not only to the Lord, but I need to go to them and repent to them. Just like perhaps, perhaps for you, it would be really beneficial if you went to your kids, you went to a, a younger sibling and repented and just said, you know what, I, I don't even know what I did wrong, but if I did anything wrong, I'm certainly open to you telling me about it and I'm so sorry about that. That can be the kind of thing, I, I'm not guaranteed, like I said last, last week, I, I, get, I can't make any guarantees about winning people back to the faith, but it has the possibility of being a really powerful moment for you and for your children. And this is something for, for you families with young kids to learn this, that when you recognize as parents that you make mistakes with your kids, even as they're growing, to be quick to repent, to be quick to say, you know what? Dad made a mistake. I, sh I, I was too impatient there and I'm really sorry. There's something about that that's so powerful because what we're doing is we're teaching our children that, again, that repentance is a real thing that we need to do and that it's something that in humility we can do. It teaches them the pattern, actually, of how we can relate to God, which is to recognize that he, yes, he gives us a way of life. He gives us his commandments. He gives us this, this path to heaven, and we don't always follow it. And sometimes we have to repent of how we're not following God's ways. If we can do that as a family, then we can start to do it more and more as a church. And if we do it more and more as a church, then we can actually, actually find ourselves attracting more and more people to see that we're real Christians and not just pretending. Not just being like the religious leaders who, who make it more about themselves and less about God, but instead we're making it more about the Lord and our, our communal and individual relationships with him. This is, this is something that I think can be so powerful. And so, so maybe for us this week to just consider this, right? How can I repent personally to God and to the people around me? How can I grow in that, inviting others to repent? and growing myself closer to the Lord so that the family can grow, so that the church can grow, so that together we can walk closer to the Lord and prepare ourselves for him to come.